2022 was supposed to happen in digital form, but today, even that was canceled, which has to make you wonder if the industry's biggest convention is gone for good. Good morning, good Friday morning to you. The weekend is so close, you can reach out and touch it. I'm Shane Satterfield from Sifted, and this is Good Morning Gaming for April 1st, 2022. The show is in our patrons' feeds bright and early every weekday morning and free on our YouTube channel for everyone else. You can find our flagship show, Game Face, by searching your favorite podcast service. You'll find the podcast versions of the rest of our content in the same feed. You found this. So today, the ESA announced that E3 is completely canceled for 2022. We already knew that the in-person version of the event was canceled long ago, although now in hindsight, the ESA may have been a little trigger-happy on that because I feel like We probably could have the event in June if things continue to trend the way they are right now with COVID-19 in the United States, but I'm not going to blame the ESA for that. It was trying to err on the side of caution. It was trying to keep the industry safe. So the decision ultimately didn't work out, but I'm not going to begrudge the organization for trying to take care of the people who ultimately support it. But E3 was supposed to still have some form of a digital event. Basically the same thing that it's done the last couple years to varying degrees of success. And arguably, the digital version of E3 for the last couple years hasn't been good or bad because of the ESA. It's been good or bad because the publishers either decided to show something or the publishers decided not to show something. Or in some cases... Maybe they had stuff to show, or maybe they didn't. Some of the press events last year were great. Some of them were terrible. Capcom, I'm looking at you. But it was still an event, something we could all rally around. I still got excited by it. Matt still got excited by it. We were there to cover it live. It was a thing. But now there will be no thing. Well, there might be a thing, but that thing is going to be different. It appears that Jeff Keighley's Summer Game Fest has essentially squeezed out the ESA and E3's digital event. A couple of the stories that reported on this today cited insider sources that said the ESA was having trouble getting publishers to participate in any meaningful way because they had already committed to Jeff Keighley's Summer Game Fest. Now, I love Jeff. I worked with Jeff for probably a decade at various publications like G4 and then eventually Game Trailers and Spike TV. Have a lot of respect for what he does, but Summer Game Fest was not E3. Now that may change this year since there's no competition there. I'm guessing Jeff is probably going to really try to blow things out big time. But in the past, Summer Games Fest has not been a replacement for E3. But here's the thing. If Jeff's show steps up this year and steps into this void and does a great job and impresses us, but more importantly, if it impresses the industry in a year's time, who do you think the publishers are going to work with? Are they going to work with the ESA, where they have to pay money to be involved? Are they going to work with Jeff, where they may feel like they can get the same level of promotion and visibility without paying an exorbitant fee 
to the ESA. This could also affect the in-person showing for next year because the ESA is saying right now that E3 will return in 2023. In fact, here's its exact statement, quote, E3 will return in 2023 with a reinvigorated showcase that celebrates new and exciting video games and industry innovations. We previously announced that E3 would not be held in person in 2022 due to the ongoing health risks surrounding COVID-19. Today we announced that there will also be no digital E3 showcase in 2022. Instead, we will devote all our energy and resources to delivering a revitalized physical and digital E3 experience next summer. That second part's important there, and digital experience. Whether enjoyed from the show floor or your favorite devices, the 2023 showcase will bring the community, media, and industry back together in an all-new format and interactive experience. We look forward to presenting E3 to fans around the world live from Los Angeles in 2023. That sounds great. I love E3. I'm not going to make any bones about it. I never have made any bones about it. I love the show. I do not want it to go away. In fact, if it weren't for E3, I probably would never have entered this industry. I had been plugging away back in the mid-90s, late-90s, on my own little fan website called Street Level Gaming. And the prospect of E3 and the excitement of E3 is what motivated me to do that, to create a website. I wanted to get into the show, and I knew to do that, I needed to launch something. And so I did, and I did. And the first time I went to E3, I knew that this was my home. I knew this industry is the industry that I wanted to work in. And I set myself towards that goal. And I knew I would do anything that it would take to get into the games industry and become a part of it. And so, sure, I may be a little biased towards E3, and I may see it through rose-tinted glasses at least a little bit. But I'm not stupid, and I'm not delusional. And I can see the writing on the wall here. And the writing on the wall is if Jeff Keighley steps in and does a great job this year at E3, at the very least next year, he will handle the digital part of E3. If the E3 show happens in person, the ESA will handle that, and Jeff, I'm guessing, would have a chokehold on the digital side of the event. And honestly, I don't know that that's a bad thing. I can live with that. I believe Jeff probably can do the digital version of E3 better than the ESA, unless the ESA were to hire some people who know what they're doing. That really has been the problem, I believe, with the ESA for quite a while, as a lot of the people that work there, they're not really in the know. They haven't really worked in media, or if they have, they haven't worked in it for a very long time. And so their presentation is a little, I wouldn't call it cut rate, but it's a little rough around the edges compared to what you get from Jeff or some of these other bigger publications. And so I would be okay if the ESA handled the physical part of E3 and Jeff handled the digital part, which is kind of what was happening prior to this, except something, it appeared, happened between Jeff and the ESA to where he didn't feel like he wanted to work with the ESA any longer. And if the ESA is doing something stupid behind the scenes to keep this partnership from working, it needs to reevaluate its stance because... If push comes to shove and the industry is put in a position of, hey, do we do a digital thing with the ESA or do we do a digital thing with Jeff Keighley, who also, by the way, has this thing at the end of the year called the Game Awards that we'd like to be involved in, they're going to pick Jeff. 
That's just all there is to it. And so the ESA needs to avoid this conflict and needs to do whatever Jeff asks to make sure that they work with Jeff and they have a partnership with Jeff Keeley. That's just the truth. If that doesn't happen, the ESA's digital presentation next year is going to be a joke, or they're going to see the writing on the wall way before the show even happens and just not do anything digital at all. Just head it off at the pass and figure it out now. And if the ESA can't figure that part out and it no longer controls the gaming digital space in June of every year, and Jeff is controlling that, then to me, the show is just a year or two away from disappearing altogether. So this is a huge inflection point for the ESA and for E3. I hope they figure it out. And I really hope that Jeff is open and willing to working with the ESA on a solution that they can cooperate on. Because I believe the two sides working together towards a common goal will produce the best result. And now for a couple more stories from the top of your sifts. Allegations of sexism, bullying, and burnout have emerged from inside the Microsoft studio behind State of Decay 3, Undead Labs. Kotaku is reporting that the studio hasn't transitioned well to Microsoft's ownership since being acquired four years ago. And it only now knows what State of Decay 3 is, yet it's still in pre-production after three years. Kotaku interviewed 12 current and former employees for the article, and some wonder if Microsoft's hands-off approach allowed dysfunction to fester since its charismatic CEO, Jeff Strain, left the company. Are there any truly great places to work in the gaming industry? We're really starting to wonder. Today, Windows Central reported that Microsoft is on the verge of announcing its plans to create a Game Pass family plan. According to Windows Central, the plan will allow five memberships in the same country for a relatively cheaper price. Right now, those five people would have to all pay for their own Game Pass subscriptions. Nintendo currently offers a family plan for its online services, and other platforms like Disney Plus and Netflix have had it for years now. A lot of the hang-ups preventing it from happening until now include how royalties are distributed and how third-party publishers will be compensated for users who weren't attached to the main plan. But apparently, all that stuff is ironed out because, again, Windows Central claims the plan will launch sometime this year. Some details remain unclear, like will there be separate family plans for PC Game Pass and Xbox Game Pass, or will it all be exclusive to Xbox Game Pass Ultimate? And the exact pricing is also unknown, but it shouldn't be long until we learn the details direct from Microsoft. PlayStation first-party studio Firesprite is preparing to make a horror game in Unreal Engine 5. Presumably, this is something different than the Twisted Metal reboot it's rumored to be working on. It's listed a new narrative director role on its website career page that includes in its description that the studio is looking for someone to, quote, join our development team for a AAA narrative-driven horror adventure game in Unreal 5, end quote. Since Twisted Metal is a car combat game, it's highly unlikely it's the game in question. Fire Sprite Games was acquired by PlayStation back in September of 2021, having previously worked on projects like The Playroom, Persistence VR, and more. Amazon's MMORPG New World had a rollicking start when it launched back in September, but players quickly realized that it was bereft of content and moved on. Well, the first real chunk of DLC is finally here in the form of the Heart of Madness expansion. It was delayed a couple days due to bugs, but now it's available for everyone and concludes the main storyline. 
Explore the depths of Isabella's lair using a grapple hook-infused blunderbuss. The Tempest Heart Endgame Expedition is intended for five level 60 players with gear scores between 550 and 570. Solar Ash may be stylistically similar to Hyper Light Drifter, but Heart Machine's next game is actually the full sequel, called Hyper Light Breaker. This 3D co-op roguelite is currently only announced for PC and is launching in Steam Early Access in Spring 2023. This also bodes well for Solar Ash, which is a game that was tentatively scheduled for release this year, but we haven't really heard much from it in the first three months. But if Heart Machine is planning on releasing its next game next spring, then surely Solar Ash is coming this year. PlayStation laid off 90 sales and marketing staffers today. The company is moving to a direct-to-consumer marketing approach and thus is laying off people who market to stores. This is a bad sign for retail partners like GameStop and Best Buy as their relevance continues to shrink thanks to consumers moving away from physical purchases. The relationship between a platform holder and retailers is extremely important. You have to maintain that great relationship if you want shelf space. PlayStation needs to be careful. If it steps off this cliff too quickly, it could open up that shelf space to Nintendo or Microsoft. It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll tackle today's boss fight. Welcome to today's boss fight, where I tackle random topics that may or may not be related to video games. So today is April Fool's Day, April 1st, 2022. And I don't know if you've really stopped to think about this, but for whatever reason, April Fool's Day is a huge day in the gaming industry. Think about other industries, like other entertainment industries, like film, or TV, or the music industry. Why don't they make April Fool's Day jokes? And look, I'm not saying that they don't, that it's completely barren of April Fool's jokes, but it's not a thing. There may be one music company that does an April Fool's joke. There may be one movie studio that does an April Fool's joke. I guarantee you today, there are going to be dozens of of April Fool's jokes in the gaming industry. I have racked my brain trying to figure out why it's a thing. And here's a personal anecdote. When I got into the industry back in 2000, I had no idea about this. For whatever reason, I had not picked up on the fact that it was a big deal. Now, I knew that EGM had a reputation for April Fool's jokes and really good ones, and I had followed them But I didn't realize that the industry at large was also into April Fool's jokes just as much as EGM. So I start my job at GameSpot in 2000, and I work, I don't know, I guess the first eight or nine months on the job. I started in the summertime, and so the year turns over, and April Fool's comes around the next year in 2001. And for whatever reason, and maybe it was a joke on me, I still don't know to this day, but our news editor was out on April Fool's Day, and... I was put on news for that day. Nobody told me, hey, look out. Today, people post fake stories. 
Nobody told me anything. I just knew that the news editor was at an event where he was playing some game for preview, and they had no one to handle news that day, and because I had a journalism degree, they tossed me on it. And so I, in my first ever day as a news editor, worked on April Fool's Day. And I was a trained journalist. I had just got out of college. I knew to check sources and things like that, and it was overwhelming. The job to me was overwhelming. I wrote... I think it was 25 news stories that day, which is just insane. Like, no one should ever have to do that. And it was my first day doing it. And so I did follow up and got quotes on all the stories, which is something you hardly ever see anymore in gaming news. But for most of the stories, I was calling PR people, trying to get quotes about stuff. And usually you would just get the no quote, or we're not going to comment on rumors and speculation, stuff like that. And... I felt like I did a good job, but there was one story about Square Enix and just this obscure, it was basically a story about a sequel to a game that wasn't very popular. And so I looked at it and I was like, who would report a fake story about this, something that no one cares about? And so I posted the story, gave credit to the website that had posted it. And as it turns out, it was a very lame and very unfunny April Fool's joke but an April Fool's joke nonetheless. And of course, I ended up with egg on my face. And to be fair, people around the GameSpot offices laughed because they realized that I had no clue what a big deal April Fool's Day was in the industry. But I knew after that. And from that day forward, I was very vigilant on April Fool's Day. So for one, what I'm going to tell you is that today, as you go about your day on the internet, whether you're on Sifted or you're on Twitter or you're on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, Keep your guard up because there's going to be a lot of fake stories today. And the best ones are the ones that appeal to things that we really, really want. And really, April Fool's jokes in the gaming industry just run the gamut. Some of them are like that. They appeal to what people really want. Some of them are just mean trolls. It's just, it's all over the place. Some of my favorites throughout the years. IGN has had a couple good ones. It had um, Optimus Prime in Titanfall, and it actually created a trailer that had Optimus in Titanfall. I don't know if it worked with Respawn on that to make that happen. Uh, Back in 2013, it also did an Apple iPlay video game console fake trailer that was really good, really professional. PlayStation has done some really good stuff, some official stuff. Probably the best was the PlayStation Flow wearable item where you're supposed to put these things on whenever you jumped into the water inside a video game and there were these peripherals for just those moments when you were in water in video games. And then they also had like a Journey Deathmatch trailer, like a, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like, um, it was like Rockets Only. And again, that was a trailer that was created in the Journey engine where the characters were fighting each other with like rocket launchers. But as I said earlier, EGM is really the, or was the king of the April Fool's Day joke. Two of my favorites were Lego Halo. That announcement got picked up by a lot of outlets because it seemed plausible. And those are the best gaming April Fool's jokes. So once where you, have, you sit there and you think, you're like, oh, that makes perfect sense. A Lego Halo video game made perfect sense at the time. And then one of its other really good ones was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle 2 arcade code that was like insane and almost impossible to enter. But if you did it right you would reportedly unlock Simon Belmont from Castlevania for play. And then in 92, EGM posted another that said if you beat Street Fighter 2 with Ryu without taking any damage, you could fight Shang Long. EGM, again, the gods of the gaming April Fool's Day joke. But the industry 
has kind of picked it up and ran with it, and it just continues year after year. As I mentioned, some of them are really cruel trolls. Like, there was one year where Valve created a game page for Half-Life 3 on Steam, and people freaked out. Um, there was Assassin's Creed for Kinect that looked really professional and looked like it could be real. There was the Legend of Zelda Netflix series. I think that was in, like, 2015. Uh, there was this crazy, like, hovering mouse called the McFly from Razer. Um, it's just... I really like it and love it, and I don't. I still don't know why to this day it's the gaming industry that has picked up this mantle and run with it. I do think EGM has a lot to do with it because most of the people who are a little older who are in the industry, and generally those are people who are in positions of power now, they grew up with EGM, and they remember how much fun they had because EGM would do its joke, and then in the next issue... They would have people writing in saying, oh, you got me, and they would tell their story about how they went to the arcade and they tried to finish Street Fighter 2 three times without taking damage and how much money they spent trying to do it. It was just great, and most of the jokes are kind-hearted and they're just fun, and I think they play on our expectations in all the best ways. So as you're out there on the internet today enjoying April Fool's, if you do get fooled, don't get too angry. In fact, maybe you should thank the person, the publication, the publisher, or whatever that cracked the joke, because I just feel like we need more good-hearted stuff like this in our industry. We need more than just one day for April Fool's Day. Thanks for listening to Good Morning Gaming. I appreciate every single one of you who listens to GMG. I'm Shane Satterfield. Follow me on Twitter at Dinfire and follow Sifted at Sifted Games. Then head over to patreon.com slash sifted and drop us a pledge. And please do that. We'll be back on Monday with another episode. But until then, make sure you seize today because there will never be another.